0: Birch is a unique tree because it lights best when it is still alive. If you find birch on the ground, it is not optimal for fire starting because the resin on the bark has probably fallen off in decay. Take the live birch and grind it up into tiny bits for kindling. Welcome to Survivor <laughs> Analytics. <laughs> My name is Clyde. I am the true expert, and I'm here with the voice of the people. We got Jack. Jack, how's it going? What's up, party people? Who's ready to... uh Wipe clean for once. Yeah, don't get too excited. Don't shit yourself. We're back. <laughs> We're another episode. We're covering episode six of Survivor China, a famous sponsored episode. I don't think we've had a sponsor since the famous uh, Sprint Palm Prix back in Samoa, right? Right. There wasn't one in 44, because for some reason they uh, don't do them anymore. It doesn't seem like. I guess here's the question. What... Is the most recent sponsored or product placement uh, episode that you can remember? Oh, that's a great question. It's tough because I didn't watch all of this in order. I think I probably started with Survivor in its 30s and then went back in time. Right. So my sense of time figuring out when the sponsorship stopped is weird. My guess would be they probably stopped doing these in the late 20s, early 30s on um, so plenty more sponsorships to come. Good. Yeah. I don't know if I've told you this, but they have a uh, fan favorite award for every season that goes for a while. And it's the Sprint fan favorite award. Oh, Sprint. You really did not survive like the show did. Yeah. Well, after the show, I exclusively only use Sprint and what was it? Charmin? Charmin. This episode? Is that and what it was? Charmin yeah. and Crest. Uh, although it is the Charmin Tea House. Oh, of course, of course. (laughs) Better than the, uh, what is it? Uh, Oh, the Survivor Sanctuary, where good Good things things happen. happen. When we come back to this reward, I think we'll have to discuss the the differences between the two versions of kind of an island sanctuary and decide which one we actually like better, but uh, we'll get there. I think this might be one of the best pre-merge episodes that we've covered on the show. I feel like a lot happens both entertainment-wise and strategically on this one. I think that's We fair. get the fun Charmin scenes, and we get some pretty complex gameplay, specifically coming from Todd, which I'm excited to talk oh, about. Oh, Todd. Uh, yeah, let's jump in, because I, Todd, I've got mixed feelings about Todd in this episode. So we can start at the Jean-Hu camp. That's where it opens. Yes. Are there any animal shots that I should be aware of? Not in jean Who. Oh, Good. I'd, i just like <laughs> to make sure now, moving ahead, because I don't want to miss any of those key frames oh, that oh, happen for, I'll what, let you know. two seconds? <laughs> At Sean, who they just voted out Aaron in the previous episode, where PG came up with the idea to throw the challenge, they outwitted the Meat Boys, and I ate up every second of it. And now only James remains, and he is clearly on the bottom. Yeah. From James's perspective, he should know that... If they go to tribal, he's probably going to get voted out. Yes. But he's a meat boy, and he believes that if he can keep the tribe physically strong, Le- oh, then boy. okay, their- <laughs> then they'll put their best effort into the challenge, and then they'll win. He's walking around camp putting in all this work. Like He is so one-sided in terms of his gameplay. He can only think about the physical side, and he only focuses on that. That is not what he's doing. That is not what he's doing. What is he doing then? That's what he says. He says, I need to keep them strong for the challenge when they're intentionally losing the challenge. He says very clearly that he is taking away any excuse they can have if anything happens and they change their mind, or if there's any circumstance that he can control or impact. He's doing everything he can to keep them all happy, fed, and ready to go into the challenges. Because there's nothing else he can do. If you're James and your options are sit idly by and know you're at the bottom or do everything you can to demonstrate value and try to push your way out, he's taking that second option. And so it's not one-sided. I think it's it's the only tactic he has. I think there's more than just two paths, though. What else is there? I think there's more paths there? than either do nothing or provide a lot around camp. How about you actually talk to the people at John Hu? You could plant seeds of doubt and say, oh, maybe Frosty and Sharia are growing closer at Fei Long. Do you really want to risk them flipping later? Like you can actually talk to these people and negotiate with them, but he's only focused on the physical side of the game. And he thinks, oh, if I make the food and if I contribute to the shelter, they'll want to keep me around when they're probably going to merge in a couple days and they might not even be at this camp anymore. I mean, I think you're right that there is technically that third option, right? He could go for a social angle. Technically, (laughs) there's so many options and he's focused only on the meat boy one. Because he's a meat boy. He he knows his strengths and he's sticking to them. He's not going to try and botch a social play that could blow up in his face. That's just not really a, a feasible option for him. Uh, because he's not a strong social player. I think he's a solid social player. I think he's a bad strategic player, but socially, people seem to like him. I think he's good at getting along with people. Genuinely. I don't think he could fake it, and I think he genuinely doesn't like these people. Yeah, that's fair. When, When James vibes with you, if you're a Denise, he shows it, and if he doesn't vibe with you, like, a PG, he will vote against you in tribal council when it makes zero strategic sense. Yeah. I mean, I th- I think that's a, an accurate assessment. Yeah. Uh, Want to head over to Faye Long? Yes. Any animal there shots There is an there? animal shot. Thank you very much. Oh, boy. We get a shot of a snake. Who's the snake? I think the snake is Todd. Really? Slithering, <laughs> trying to be tactical and sneaky and, slip. you know, navigate all of the uh, complicated politics of a game that is only complicated around Todd because everyone else is playing like it's 2005. The only thing I have written down from that camp is that Todd still can't crack the damn idol. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about this. I don't know if you remember this take you had. This might have been back on, like, episode two. But you said that Todd would deserve some criticism if he failed to find the idol in the pre-merge. Yeah. And up until this point in the episode... He still hasn't found it, and he's so desperate that he approaches Amanda, who is his closest ally, and leaks that information to her. Yeah. Is this a good move by Todd, given that he can't find it, or do you think he's better off just continue searching? I think given the timing, it's an appropriate move. Good and bad, right? What do people say, rose and thorns? Yeah. The rose, Todd recognizes this is a moment where an idol could really shift the outcome of the game, potentially. An idol, played right, could guarantee James making it to the merge, right? Or be it advantageous if something goes awry, you know, back in in his camp. So that's the rose. He does recognize this is the time. And he recognizes, I can't do it alone. That's the thorn, is that he has three hints There's one place in this camp that he hasn't looked. And every time the camera goes, there it is, and points right at it. And so the fact that he hasn't found it is very disappointing. But he does accurately read, this is the time to ask for help, right? He didn't ask immediately. He didn't share it right off the bat. Um, I think he has some fumbles later on, but I think it was the right read to um, clean up his own mess because he couldn't figure this out. Is Amanda the best person to talk with about the idol? Yes, I think so. I mean, she is his closest ally. I think she can keep things close to her chest. I think that the two of them have been very good about playing a very quiet game together. So I, I think that part's a good read. What do you think? I think it's probably the right move to share this with Amanda, especially given what they find out later in the episode that Aaron was just voted out because they were originally a trio yeah and that lasted only five episodes I guess so now that Aaron's gone even though he was more of the figurehead of that group rather than an actual strategic contributor with him out of the picture that is gonna innately draw Amanda and Todd closer to each other right I don't have a huge issue with him sharing it especially since the merge is probably right around the corner. Want to head to the reward then? Yeah. This reward challenge is wild. This is a very unique one. I tell you what, uh, this might be my least favorite challenge of the season. I can see that. It's not a crazy one. I still think this is better than most of the challenges that we saw in the new era. Like, this has a lot more character to it. Oh, it's definitely got character. Um, The abandoned village just made me think of, like, you know... um, The countless controversial events resulting in a large part of, you know, the Chinese rural population dying or, or, you know, fleeing. I know enough about Chinese history that this one was a little spooky to me. Like, uh, ghost towns don't usually have a happy ending. I wasn't sure if this is a authentic abandoned village or if this was created by production. It seemed pretty authentic. I, I would argue that it was legit. To sum up the actual challenge, it's a it's not a scavenger hunt, really. It's a race through an abandoned village. One team member from each team at a time can run through the village finding these long, thin planks that have letters on them. And when they get all of these pieces, they have to use them to decipher a quote from Confucius, uh, which, you know, I thought that was kind of a fun aspect to it. I like the deciphering the quote part. And the reward is here we go, because they say it right off the bat. It's a tea house with showers, western toilets. They throw that out and that is a big deal. Western toilets are a a big deal for people who are, you know, in very rural Asia. And then brought to you by is it Charmin or Charmin? I think it's Charmin, even though it's spelled with the C H. Yeah. Charmin ultra strong. And so here's my question for you. And you don't have to know this. I just want to know your guess. Do you think that this was Charmin trying to market in the US or Charmin trying to market in China? Oh, both. They can double dip in in both of them. That's true. No matter who you are, you got to wipe your ass. And Charmin (laughs) is there to help you every step of the way. I'll tell you what. That's such a good slogan. I can see the ad campaign now. You know, it's like um, you see the Queen of England from behind with her crown. (laughs) You know, you see a Roman emperor reaching for his toilet paper, a a pharaoh in ancient Egypt, a cowboy, an astronaut. And it says no matter who you are. You gotta wipe your ass. Well, I guess not as much anymore now that many more people have bidets. I don't know if bidets were a big thing in the mid to early 2000s or if they just became popular in the U.S. more recently. It's a U.S. thing. Oh, okay. That's not an international thing. Well, it it was an international thing and it's just now becoming a thing in the U.S. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. But maybe this was Charmin's attempt to battle the bidet market in China. That's a good point. I mean, you know, you hear a lot about Japanese toilets, but I'm sure that those, the phenomenon of very modern toilets is more common in, you know, Asian countries and has just started to come over to the US. I think that's, there's a valid theory there. So that's my theory behind the motivations of this. I have a question for you on Confucius. Yes, please. You were the avid reader between the two of us. Yes. The quote that they have spelled out in this puzzle is, The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Yeah. Is this a famous Confucius quote? Like, did you know that would be the answer the second Jeff said it was a Confucius quote? Technically, it's not a Confucius quote, actually. What? It is a Chinese proverb uh, from the Tao Te Ching. Uh, The Tao Te Ching uh, Taoism or Taoism, it's kind of a T, kind of a D. It depends on the English translation. Uh, It's a... Uh, Chinese spiritual um, school that has been around for a very, very long time. So A Journey of a Thousand Miles Begins with a Single Step comes from that book, right? Which was written by um, Lao Tzu back in the 6th century BC. I did look him up. I appreciate the pre-podcast research. It's it's it's, er- it's erroneously attributed to Confucius. H- here's Here's how I'll describe it. It's kind of like a fortune cookie default oh this is a classic chinese proverb so we're going to put it in because it's like you know it's like the chinese version of like um vedi vidi vici coming from ancient rome this is like the the most stereotypical one-liner from ancient chinese wisdom which is obviously okay. a massive school of wisdom that has thousands of authors and thousands of years of history So I wasn't surprised to see the quote. So would you have known it right away? Like if you were on Survivor, my guess is you would probably take the place of like Eric on the cast. I bet they swap out Eric, put you in the cast instead. You know, the tall white men. I would have gotten it pretty quick. Not that fast. Oh, nice. (laughs) I would have known that's what we were going for pretty fast. Here's the thing I want to talk about. Courtney sits. Yeah, I wrote this down. (laughs) Again. Again. Why... Do they keep sitting her for the reward challenges when Jeff is straight up telling them at this point, hey, if you sit during the reward, you have to play in the immunity challenge. It blows my mind that they're still sitting her. Why? Can you give me a good reason at this stage? I can tell you right now because everybody's got to wipe their ass, Jack. They were <laughs> planning to play Courtney and then venture in the immunity. And then they saw those sweet, sweet roles of Charmin. And they realized, Courtney, put your ass on the bed. You weren't getting it. It really did kind of feel like they decided it is more important for us to drink some tea than to maximize our chances at immunity. Uh, And maybe that's just them saying, most of them saying, yeah, let's lose and get Jean Robert out or something. But I didn't appreciate it. It's a bad strategic move. And I literally write that down every week with every challenge because they keep doing this and i don't understand why the big highlight from this challenge for me was the small interaction between pg and sharia where yeah they are both running into one of the houses to acquire the puzzle pieces and pg pulls sharia aside and says hey we're still together we're keeping an eye out for you basically yeah And Sharia doesn't say anything. She basically ignores PG. Yeah. Why do you think Sharia did this? (laughs) Is she actively shunning PG strategically to say, I'm no longer working with you? Or is she just in the zone of the challenge? I I mean, I think that's the big question because we don't really get a window into what Sharia or Frosty are thinking. About their old tribe. We get a little bit of a peek into Sharia and Frosty wanting to pounce on the Jean Robert dynamic, but we don't see anything about how they feel about PG or or their old tribe at all. We don't get a confessional. We don't get conversations. That's wild that they didn't include that. Yeah. like What we get is multiple times speculation from... um I apologize. It's been a month since we've watched and have several days since we watched this episode. Who's the blonde? Jamie. Jamie, thank you. Uh, Jamie says something along the lines of, Frosty wouldn't even make eye contact with me. And that's a big reason for their kind of spiral, right? Uh, and then there's this, this moment where Sharia, it could be an intentional shunning or it could be Sharia just trying to play the game And focus on untying all the knots, you know? Like, it's hard to tell, and we don't get a confessional that would be really helpful here. It's weird that the perspective of Frosty and Sharia plays such a prominent role in the strategy of this episode, yet we never learn if their speculation was correct. Right? Like, you would think from an editor and storytelling point of view, that's crucial information for the outside viewer, yet they leave it out entirely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it definitely felt like the big missing piece in this episode. So le- let me ask you, this moment was a, a rare one in Survivor. I can only think of a couple of very small instances that were much more subtle where conversation like this even happens during challenges, or at least makes it to the edit. Is this a common technique? Is it rare? Because it feels rare in my experience to see this happen. It is kind of rare to have discussions in the challenge, but there are multiple instances of it in Survivor history. We actually saw it in season 44. I believe that in episode 2, Claire talks to Matthew on the bench Yeah, about some of the items that were acquired at Party Rock Island. That's the other one I was thinking of, yeah. So we'll, we'll be building up a couple more as we get through some of these seasons. Uh, it's an interesting tactic. But this is one where I think it clearly makes sense from PG's point of view to try to confirm with Sharia, and then they just get kind of paranoid. I mean, that was her chance to pass the message along. And from PG's point of view, or or to PG's credit, I guess I should say, uh, she did everything she could. The other thing I want to throw out before we leave this challenge, I don't think the scavenger hunt part of this challenge was hard enough because it kind of seems like there's a camera crew waiting by every plank. You think they were just standing there? Yeah, because the camera crews are set enough when they run into the room that I it didn't seem very challenging. That was just a little thing I wanted to throw out. Yeah, you know what this challenge needed? More knots. Like maybe if there was a knot before you ran into each house, that'd make it better, right? <laughs> yeah. Is that what you wanted? Exactly. I, I think there should be a knot to slow them down and give the camera crews enough time to get in position. I think you're exactly right. Well, then you could have a camera person running behind them, maybe. It could be like a chase scene. We did get a few of those. We got, there were a few shots like that, but there were also a lot of shots where the camera was very set, you know? Yeah, so it was probably just some random dude chilling in the house waiting for them to run in. I I recently saw the first time I'd ever seen a photo of the cameras, like behind the scenes, it is terrifying how many people are standing with the cameras behind the cameras in these challenges. I'm shocked how composed people are able to remain considering the amount of people around them just watching. Yeah, I'm sure it's like anything else. You get used to it over time, constantly being recorded. But for those first couple days, it's probably pretty awkward for people like, uh, chicken on this season. He probably never got acclimated to the constant camera crew since he was only there for three days. I bet there's a VHS somewhere at CBS that is just all the moments of chicken looking right into a camera. (laughs) Or Bruce too. Bruce probably never got acclimated to the cameras. Well, I think that was for a very different reason. I don't think he got acclimated to the feeling of wood against his cranium. Okay. Shout out to Bruce. Love you, man. We'll, we'll, uh, looking forward to having you back in the fall. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do. I can't... Oh my god, I can't wait for that guy to come back. Okay, so Feilong wins this. They select James to capture yeah. for the reward. And then we head to the Charmin Tea House, where they show this entire setting. It looks a little bit like the Survivor Sanctuary, but in my opinion, this one is way better. Uh, yeah. Both in actual construction and just in principle. The thing I noticed immediately is there's a shower there. And this is not the first time that we've seen a shower on Survivor NLX. Do you remember the previous one? Oh, the absolute creepy one of Natalie showering in front of everybody (laughs) at the auction, of course. So the second I saw the shower, I was like, okay, who's it gonna be? Who's gonna get the sexy shower scene? My prediction was either James or Amanda. It was gonna be the same thing with the same music and the slow motion camera and i'm kind of happy we didn't get that exactly we got more of a comical scene with james than well uh over sexualized one well so here's what i want to throw out um and i i just want to make this very clear Jean bears a creep he's been making courtney is it courtney or caitlin yeah it's courtney okay good uh it's it's been too long uh and I'm getting back into the names. I'm so bad with the names. He's been making her so uncomfortable that she intentionally shares a bath with Amanda as far away from him as possible. Even at the reward, she's having to do everything she can to feel comfortable, right? Because he's leery, he's creepy, he makes a horrible comment. So even in the reward, Courtney's having to like consciously distance herself from this creepy dude who's still making comments like oh I'd love to be in that tub with the two young women like come on man and so there's that at ep- moment of okay obviously that w- that shouldn't have been okay in 2007 it's certainly not okay now I feel bad for Courtney one because it sucks having Jean Robert there like constantly making her feel uncomfortable but I also feel bad in the context of the edit where, I feel like I don't know that much about Courtney as a person. It seems like 90% of her content, even in confessionals, is her complaining about how Jean Robert makes her feel. And I think she does it in a comical way. Like, she has a really sarcastic way about her that even when she talks about a serious topic like this, she's still able to, like, crack some jokes and make it feel a little bit more lighthearted. But it also stinks that we're kind of losing a sense of this person— because of Jean Robert being so terrible. Like, I wish we could get that same sarcasm with Courtney, just not talking about Jean Robert. Like, if he was just off the island and she could use that skill towards something else. Hopefully she has time to um, uh, flourish and, and for us to see a little bit more of her. But uh, I, yeah, I completely agree. It sucks. Tea is obviously a massive deal in China. The amount of time that they spend on the tea is the exact same amount of time they spend on Crest Toothpaste. How much did Procter & Gamble, the parent company of Charmin and Crest Toothpaste, yes, I looked it up. Oh, my Uh, God. How much money did they spend? Like, a huge facet of this season is the Chinese culture being highlighted. The fact that that tea, which is such a pivotal absolutely essential piece of this, you know, rich culture is reduced to toothpaste time. I can't imagine what the number was that the Crests or that Procter and Gamble spent on this. It had to be astronomical. I've got two questions for you. Okay. First question. What ply do you think this toilet paper is? Oh, that's a good question. Do you think, do you think it's quilted? It's quilted the nicest one. I, and Quil- I think of Quilted as probably the nicest. You know? If Quilted is the nicest, then yes. I think if Charmin is going to pay all this money to have it a part of the show, they don't want to run the risk of giving the contestants one-ply toilet paper and then have them say, this sucks, right on camera. It's probably the nicest product they have available. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, the second part of my question, do you think they tried to smuggle toilet paper back to camp? That's possible. Um, if they attempted it, they probably were not allowed. If we ever watch some old seasons of Survivor, you'll see that when players went on food reward challenges, they were allowed to bring food back for people at camp. Oh, so yeah, that wasn't necessarily good for the game because part of a good reward challenge is the fact that some people get left out and they might feel bitter because of it. And you lose that when you give them the ability to return with food. So I doubt that they were allowed to bring any of the toilet paper back. Maybe if it was one ply, that would have been allowed. Kind of the segue here to this tactical conversation. I have a quote. Oh, I have a Todd quote. Uh, Todd says, and he seems to be looking 16 years into the future and reading our minds when he says, Sometimes in this game, I feel like I'm the only one playing. Todd, I feel that way also. Really? Uh, Frankly, much of this game, I feel like Todd has been the only one playing. I think that's going to change as the game gets a little more intense, and I think the gameplay has just been very subtle. But I get why he says that. And then he approaches James. Wait, wait, I got to disagree with you first. I think Todd's playing. What? But there's plenty of other people on this cast that are playing. PG came up with the idea to throw the challenge. Jamie participated in the throne challenge. They're both strategic players. In in Todd's tribe, in Todd's tribe, I think he's the only one at least that we're seeing taking a really proactive tactical approach. I think Amanda is strategic. Her and Todd do a lot of their strategic discussions together and make those decisions together. I think Uh, Jean-Robert, as much as I dislike him as a person, he has some strategic moments. I think before Frosty and Sharia arrive at their camp, he's the one that tells the group we need to target them when they arrive here. So I agree with you that Todd is playing on a level above many of these other contestants. They're still playing. I think there's a few people that are just kind of there and hanging out. I I don't think we've seen a single strategic thought from Denise this entire season. That's a very... Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Todd approaches James and offers to save James if James shares the idol clue with Todd. And from James's perspective, this is a lifeline. He really doesn't have any other option in the game. He's in such a terrible position over Sean, who, when Todd made this offer, I, I knew James was going to follow through with it. Did you have any doubt? No. Oh, absolutely not. I, I think James saw this very clearly as my old tribe is coming back for me and uh, specifically Todd is somebody who can help me and, and knows what he's doing. You know, I, I think it was a no-brainer for him. So we can run over to Jean-Hu's camp and then return to Fei Long if you want. Yeah, let's go over to the set. Let's just highlight it very quickly. It's just absolutely depressing. Uh, it's just the three Jean-Hu members sitting around what's his name the virgin eric oh man eric we're not taking breaks anymore from recording the pod you you lose <laughs> it you lose that spark you know uh since we last recorded i've had a birthday and i've heard that from 25 on your brain just goes downhill so uh get used to this <laughs> but so the virgin is clearly unhappy and I think the the frustration of losing challenges is really starting to manifest for him. And I think if if the merge wasn't so imminent, this would result in his bonds with the other two absolutely crumbling, just based on how irritated he seems at this stage. Is that a wild swing? Yeah, I don't think Eric would ever flip on Jamie. They, they had their moment in the Garden of Eating. I think he feels so compelled to work with her moving forward the big thing that i noted from this scene at sean who is that pg and jamie are considering no longer throwing the upcoming challenge they are worried that frosty and sharia have now flipped to the fei long group and their evidence for this is sharia not responding at the challenge and frosty not making eye contact right I don't know about you, I think this is them just acting paranoid. I think there's literally zero strategic benefit for them to not throw the upcoming challenge. Oh, 100%. I, I think uh, as much as I absolutely hate that tactic, they've started it. They have to see it through. Uh, I There's no good reason not to. I completely agree with that. Because if their theory is correct, and Frosty and Sharia are genuinely a part of that fey group, then it wouldn't matter if they throw the challenge or not. Like, they would enter the merge down in numbers uh, 7 to 3 if James flipped over and went with that group as well. Right. So if worst-case scenario and Frosty and Sharia flipped, they're screwed regardless. But if Frosty and Sharia are still with them, they throw the challenge, vote out James, then they enter the merge at a 5 to 5. There's only a benefit to throwing. There's no disadvantage at this point. Um We find out later that Todd's actually a step ahead of them, but I just don't understand why they decided to try in the last second. But they don't know that. Given the knowledge they have, their decision is just paranoid. I think paranoid is the right adjective. And of course we get James, who's just the luckiest guy now, where he's on a tribe where players decide last second to no longer throw it which is completely outside his own control. And I'm telling you now, they did not decide to not throw it because they were well-fed. This was not influenced by James in any way. I don't want to see you give him the winner at the end of the episode because he inspired his tribe <laughs> to try the challenge. I don't even want to... I had a feeling that you would attempt to make that claim. Don't even try it. <laughs> Can I... Okay. I did just go look at my, my winners, losers, and honorable mentions that I wrote down several days ago. Uh, anyway, let's let's move on. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> What's the take going to be? Oh, James built the fire and he got the food and he inspired them to try in the challenge when they made this decision when he wasn't even at the camp. We'll get there when we get there. Uh, let's move on to the uh, the idol hunt. Yeah. So back at Faye Long, Todd and Amanda have finally located the structure where they believe the idol is uh it only took four clues yeah so i guess james had some impact there so they're searching around for the idol on this structure when frosty rolls up frosty doesn't know about the idol yet todd for some reason knocks it down right in front of him like you could have waited a couple minutes for frosty to walk away and, and Frosty climbs up onto the structure because he thinks they're just breaking it for fun. <laughs> and he's just down to smash it. He starts knocking shingles off of it just to mess with it. Yeah, that's your guy. That's your winner pick. And Todd, uh, both when he knocks it down right in front of Frosty, and then we get a, a confessional from Amanda where she says that Todd was really impatient and rushed it. Is there any reason to rush this? No. The second Frosty walks up, you need to disregard- Walk the, away. Yeah, walk away. And if for some reason Frosty does find it and acquire it, you target him at the next tribal. And then we get this moment where they get it down. And Frosty's like, wait, what's that? And Amanda just obviously stands on it. <laughs> yeah. Did Did you note this? Uh, like, it's such a blatant moment. Todd- basically is like if you tell anybody i'll kill you yeah todd is very upfront. but they rope frosty in it seems like frosty's in now with the feylong alliance and they don't have a desire to target him despite him having this information so i think frosty does deserve some credit that he was able to build up those social bonds uh to the point where they immediately didn't flip on him uh in that moment but Todd doesn't have the idol for that long. He has it for all of about 10 seconds because he has a plan. He approaches James and instructs James to throw the upcoming challenge and use that immunity idol to save himself and vote out uh, Jamie. And Todd hands James the idol, knowing that there's a good chance that there's an idol at the Jean-Hu camp in the exact same location. Right. What do you think about this scheme from Todd? Did, do you agree with it? From my point of view of ignorance, especially of the older seasons of Survivor, I was willing to trust Todd's instinct that passing this to James was a failsafe. I was more interested, to be honest with you, in the question of, and I think he's right in this read, but I'm curious what you think, go for Jamie, you vote for Jamie, they all vote for you, you get to pick, right? And Jamie is the pivot point of that trio, which I think is the right read. I don't know. I, I didn't have a lot of strong feelings on the the Idol giveaway because it just seemed like kind of an old season Survivor thing for to do. So I don't, I don't know. Is that a wild perspective? I think this is a bad move by Todd. So so break break it down. So- Up until this point in the season, I have agreed with probably 90% of what Todd has done. I think he's played masterfully in the middle over at Fei Long. If his plan is for Fei Long to enter the merge with the numbers, he could have acquired that idol, kept it for himself, and there's other ways he could have went about giving them the numbers at the merge. He could have just had Fei Long throw the challenge and then vote out Sharia or Frosty, keep the idol... Don't even need to worry about James. Don't even need to incorporate him in this plan. Because the big risk now right. is James has this idol. He goes back to the jean Who camp. That same idol is there in the same spot. Then James gets two. And then James becomes a really powerful player. Someone with two idols and probably the best physical contestant in the game. Oh, yeah. All just to eliminate Jamie. And you can vote out Jamie at the merge. Like Give yourself the numbers advantage. Throw the challenge, vote out Sharia or Frosty. Then at the merge, when you have 6-4, uh, get rid of Jamie then. Like, I don't see why there's an urgency to vote her out right now and take this massive swing. I, I, I think there there's two stages to it, right? There's the work with James to push for Jamie. And then there's the give James both idols, right? Because I think there's a very compelling argument that Todd could have said, hey— That's the idol. This is the idol. Here's where it was. Go get the one when you go back. Yeah. And use it and take out Jamie. I think that is a good plan. I I totally follow that part of it, the targeting Jamie, because if it's going to be a race to the bottom, if both teams are trying to throw to get rid of someone from the swap, it becomes a coin toss, right? If they're both trying to fail harder, who knows what's going to happen? And if you've got Frosty and Sharia on your team, they could be picking up some serious slack in the challenge. Uh, and, and so you might end up with numbers where there's more people to determined to throw on John Hu than Fei Long. And so, I, so I, I think leaving that up to chance isn't a great read, but also... Setting James up for double idols is not a good read at all. Yeah. So it's a, it's a blend. It's a, it's a, it's a good and bad blend. On top of it, like James is his own person. Let's say Jean who actually lost that challenge and James played the idol at tribal council. He doesn't have to vote out Jamie. He could vote out anybody that he wants. Todd is giving these instructions, but if hypothetically James had a close relationship with Jamie, he could have kept her voted out one of the other two people. Like, I just think there's way too many variables outside Todd's control to justify passing off this idol. I think if it was up to James, he would vote out PG over Jamie. Well, right. I I think for emotional reasons, but I think for tactical reasons, I think Todd is kind of guiding it. And this is the section of the game where James is weak. And I think it's a good read on his part to listen to Todd about that. Oh, no, I agree that's the right move. But I think it's John who actually attended. I think PG would have went home. I think James would have said, I don't like Peachy, and he would have voted her out anyway. I don't know. He's got a good head on his shoulders, but uh, the other thing I want to ask you, if you're James in this scenario, do you consider actually going to win the challenge? That way, you get that double idol scenario. Like It's actually to his benefit to probably not throw it here, right? I mean, I think if I'm James in this scenario, I'm not throwing challenges. I'm doing everything I can for a bunch of reasons to play as hard as I can, which is A, he's a meat boy. (laughs) Playing as hard as you can is the right thing to do at a competitive show. A, I know you disagree with that one, but we'll move on. B, the dynamic of his tribe right now is three people throwing and him trying. If all of a sudden he throws, they might get suspicious and split the vote somehow, right? Uh, And that could throw some things into chaos, but it could put him in trouble. And so I think playing as hard as he can Even if they still lose, because mathematically, odds are good that if three people are throwing, one person can't carry them. He keeps everybody in the dark. He gets both idols. He uses one. He hides the other, right? He's running that tribe, and he's in a great spot. Yeah. I I think that's the preferred outcome for James. Yeah, it's better for his game to actually win the challenge, yet when he gets to the challenge— I think he's actually trying to throw it. He's following Todd's orders, which is probably against his best interest, I think. So so should we, should we move on to the challenge? Yeah. Last thing I just want to mention from Faye Long, one thing I did like that Todd did, even though I disagree with the move, is once he passes off the idol to James, he goes on a little campaign and tells everybody that James has the idol. So at the very least... Uh, James' idols out in the open, which inherently gives it less power. Yeah, I, I liked that move as well. I thought it was a, a good level of insurance and team building. It, it was a weird little double thing of, hey, we're staying strong, but also, if something happens, it's him, not me. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I that was a very elegant move. I, I completely agree. Let's talk about the immunity. Let's... Let's go to the cultural insult challenge of the century. We're two for three now. We've covered three seasons, and two of them have featured the eating competition. The name of this one is... I wrote it down. It's, uh... Oh, wait. Maybe I didn't write it down. Is there a name? I don't remember a name. Oh, yes. It's called Bugging Out is the name of it. Oh. We saw this on Samoa. You probably remember Jeff famously pouring milk into every concoction. Oh, the the blender. Yeah, no blender this time. We're doing straight up dishes. Here's what I'll say about the blender. This challenge is very much, frankly, ew, foreign culture is gross, right? And it has that sense that rightfully deserves some criticism. I think the blender one was much more about raw ingredients and making them even grosser. Like, yes, people eat squid, but squid is much grosser blended with milk, right? Um, And so I think the blended version of this should come back. Because I think there's a form of this challenge that totally works and isn't culturally insensitive. That being said, this one's pretty insensitive. But it's it's a food challenge, and boy, it's a good thing they have... Faylong's Long's resident Joey Chestnut ready to compete. That's right. It's Courtney. Uh, just to throw this out there, actually, because we're recording a week after the 4th of July. And if I had my soundboard, I would stick it in here for just no other reason than to play it. Look up Joey Chestnut's walk-on introduction from this year's hot dog eating contest. Oh, it's hype. It's one of the... It's... Did you see it? I've seen... Some of his past ones, I didn't see this year's. I've never seen one before. This one basically is like, humanity has been stuck for 50,000 years, and Joey Chestnut is the inevitable evolution of the human race. Like, this (laughs) is our goal as a species. It's insane. Anyway, Courtney uh, is up in the eating challenge, which is a great idea. Let's have the skinniest person ever on Survivor, Whatever she ends up eating. I don't remember which ones she ends up in. But I've written down all of the foods. Oh, I wrote them down too. Some classics in this group. The unborn chickens. Oh, yeah, the chicken fetuses, yeah. Yeah, that's the one that feels... I've seen this used before as a way of demonstrating look how foreign this culture is, right? It's a hard one for me to wrap my head around because it just... The concept of the feathers, right, is so awful. Uh, And I think that was the the stage of this challenge where they had different numbers and Jeff was like, oh, yeah, we weighed them. You're eating the exact same weight of chicken fetus. Um, And the the thousand-year-old eggs, I think I would be able to do because I've heard that's a very interesting, although challenging flavor. But you couldn't do all of them is what you're saying. I don't think I could do the baby turtles. I think those were too cute. Yeah, see, I think this is what uh, makes us different, Jack. I think I would be a meat boy on Survivor. Definitely not. But I don't think you could be a meat boy on Survivor then if you don't compete in the challenge, dude. I would do my best. But if I ended up on that one, I genuinely don't know if I could finish it. Overall, I think the best battle that we get in this entire immunity challenge is what I wrote down as the Battle of the Lovebirds, Because it's James versus Denise eating the chicken fetuses. This is heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. Because they both know what's going on. They both know that this is a stage, right? Uh, At that stage, it is 2-1. Jean-Hu is winning. And James is doing everything he can to go against his instincts and throw the challenge. Right? Uh, he doesn't want to throw, but he recognizes throwing is the best strategy for him. Also, can I say something? Yeah. James is a hypocrite. <laughs> James is not a hypocrite. Remember last week when he got so mad when they threw the challenge and he was so bitter towards them? And now here he is a week later doing literally the exact same thing. I think it's a very, very different situation because there's a a big difference between Being upset that the battlefield you thought you were on has changed in a mediocre way. And then adjusting and saying, okay, I have to fight on this new battlefield. You are not going to like my winner pick. I know it's him. I knew it was him before we started recording. (laughs) Um, James recognizes his team is doing everything. His old team is doing everything they can do to win. And he's doing everything he can do to lose. And it's heartbreaking because Denise just can't do it. And he gives her so many chances. So many chances. It's genuinely gut-wrenching. And then finally, he's just like, and just pops him in his mouth and it takes him two seconds because he's a beast, right? Yeah, I love that scene where Denise screams and tries to eat it and then immediately spits it up. There's a failed attempt by the lunch lady. It is such a, that moment, thank you for reminding me, what a wild scream, and then scream is stopped by feathers, and we do get a line from Jeff that I wrote down, Denise takes a big chunk of feathers, uh, (laughs) and she can't do it, Um, and then it ends up being a very, very close final round with the thousand-year-old egg. Uh, And Jean-Hu wins immunity, sending Fei Long to tribal. So here's the question at this stage that I want to ask you. At this point in the episode, are you trying to vote out a Jean-Hu member or a Jean-Robert? Okay. So this is the integral question. We can head back to camp and talk about the big plans. And you just hit on the- Yeah, I want to know your t- your thought before we get into the big plans. but Because that, that's what it comes down to. So where's your head at? My philosophy is you want to vote out a jean Hu member. Uh, my fear is if you vote out Jean-Robert, you enter the, the merge in a 5-5 split. And then you're just hoping that Frosty or Sharia comes to the Feilong side and sides with you at Final Ten. At least this way, it's a six four split in your favor, and in the event that either Courtney or Jean Robert flips to the other side to try to attempt to vote out the other, that that would be a five five vote. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. So by voting out a Jean who yeah. at worst it's a split vote at the merge. And by voting out a Jean Robert, at best, it's a split vote at the merge. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Basically, We have Courtney and Sharia pushing Jean-Robert. Todd and Amanda pushing Sharia. uh, And then we get Todd wavering. Because Courtney makes a very clear plea of Jean-Robert's not good around camp. She has a bond with Sharia that they can work on. And I think there's a they, a clear argument there of I would rather have personally Sharia around camp than John Robert. I think Courtney would be happier in that situation. And if you're Todd and Amanda, does that play a factor into this? Does Courtney's relationship with Sharia sway this at all? I think Courtney's relationship with Sharia isn't as big of a factor as much as others' perceptions of Todd and Amanda based on this move. Yeah. Because I feel that up until this point, the majority of Fei members have been on the same page. There hasn't been a lot of dispute over who they want to vote out next. This seems to be the first vote where that Fei alliance has a split within it. And if Todd and Amanda don't vote with Courtney, then they have the risk of creating this reputation for themselves as the kingpins and the head strategists of that alliance, which is in some ways a good thing. You get a lot of credit for moves, but it also magnifies your threat level. Yeah. And Todd is very conscious of that. Todd talks about going for Jean Robert to minimize the spotlight on him and Amanda. Yeah. And I think part of keeping an alliance together is making everybody feel like they are heard. So- if you're constantly calling the shots and going against what people like Courtney want, she's not going to want to work with them in the future. So I do think there is some benefit to getting rid of Jean Robert, other than he's just a creep and a terrible person around camp, because honestly, like, Jean Robert is probably the best person to take to the final tribal council. As awful as that is, that someone this terrible should in some ways be rewarded and taken further. Like, if I were in that game, I would look at Jean Robert and possibly think like, no no one in the right mind would vote for him at the end, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, that, that is the tricky question. So I, I lean more towards voting out Sharia, like I said. The other thing that, that I think is valuable is you can vote out Sharia, right? Go into the merge with a 6-4 numbers advantage, and then just cut Jean Robert then. And then you'll still have the numbers advantage 5-4. My approach would be going to Courtney and saying, listen, we can't do it now just the way the numbers work, but I promise you at final 10, we'll do it. And if you do that at final 10, then you really keep that alliance together moving forward. I just don't think this is the right time for it. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's a a really good point. And I think that level of thought is a few years off in the survivor world, it seems to be. But I, but I think that's a very, that's an ideal situation for sure. I have one more question on this vote beforehand, and we kind of hit on this earlier. They don't even consider voting out Frosty. They look at Sharia as Frosty's out- in. I, I think Frosty's just clearly in. You think you don't think they perceive him on like the outside of Who? Like, where do you think Frosty ranks then in that Faelong alliance? Is he towards the top? Is he like number three? Does it go Todd, Amanda, Frosty now? I think there's a chance of that. It's hard to gauge, but I do think that I think Frosty and Courtney are nearly equivalent in Todd and Amanda's eyes. Really? Okay, that's interesting. I, I that's my take because I think at this point, Frosty is kind of looking for an alliance to join. He's kind of he lucked into this one with Todd and Amanda, uh, and I think. He's shown that he's willing to compete. He's got that dog, right and Sharia Sharia just hasn't gotten along with him or made that effort with them. She's made more effort with Courtney, which I think frankly is a better move because that I think she very clearly saw the divide against Jean Robert and is working to exploit that. Yeah um but just didn't do enough to get in with Todd and Amanda. So I, I think that's why Sharia's name is coming up more is just because Frosty did more to get in with them. I guess there's also a benefit of keeping Frosty now that we potentially have that situation with James and the double idol. Like you're going to need to beat this guy in challenges if you want to have a shot at knocking him out in the merge. And Frosty's probably your yep. best bet to do that. Like you kind of need Frosty there as a, uh, a counter meat boy, if you will. I, I absolutely will. The other thing we don't see at all in this episode is sharia Frosty's strategy. Yeah, which is weird. I don't know if it's that they didn't have much of a connection back at Jean-Hu or what, but we don't see the two former Jean-Hus working together at all. Yeah, it, it's weird. You would think they would at least have one discussion, but they don't. Final yeah. thing before Tribal Council is that Todd and Amanda come together to make this decision on do they go the Sharia route? or do they go the Jean Robert route? Todd is the one pushing to vote out Jean Robert, and Amanda is pushing to vote out Sharia. So they disagree on this. This is one of the first points in the season where Todd and Amanda have a dispute over the direction of the vote. Right. So, Tribal Council, what are your thoughts on uh, Bad Boys? I mean, there's basically one conversation at this Tribal, and it's, Jean-Robert gets asked a question. Courtney and Sharia tear into him like the bad boy he is. <laughs> uh, and then they vote. That's pretty much all that happens. And then we get a little Todd-Courtney drama. But Jean-Robert declares himself a bad boy. And we get a line from Courtney. What, like, wouldn't you go home off the island? Are you wearing, like a leather jacket and driving a harley? Are you? Who do you think you are, Luke Perry? Um so first off, RIP Luke Perry. Uh gone too soon. That was a tragedy. Uh great guy. I have but, no clue who that is. Who is Luke yes, Perry? Yes, you do. Oh dude, Luke Perry, you ready for this? I you're going to know exactly who okay. he is when I say this. I'm excited. Archie Archie's dad on Riverdale. Wait, what? <laughs> when up. when when Archie's dad on Riverdale was younger, he was on a show called 90210, and he was like the bad boy on that generation's Riverdale. That's great. 902- okay. oh, 90210 was like the teen drama back then, and he starred in it back then. Wow. So, okay. A great reference uh, from Courtney. Just like I was saying earlier, she has some great one-liners, and that's one of them. Oh, I mean, she really does have some good wit. And... Uh, uh, yeah I love it uh, you also mentioned that Todd and Courtney have a little dispute Todd makes a funny comment he claims that he's loved Courtney since day three which is fine like if they weren't close those first two days but then he throws in the subtext of I actually hated you the first two days but now I, I loved you since day three like what an unnecessary jab to take at Courtney right before tribal where you're hoping to get her to vote with you Oh, yeah, that moment was so weird. What an insane choice on his part. Uh, I really didn't understand that one. It it was a weird comment. So the votes come in, and we got five votes on Sharia, two on Jean Robert. The only votes against Jean Robert come from Sharia herself and from Courtney. Yeah. So Courtney was left out of the plan, kind of a bummer. Uh, Goodbye, Sharia. I feel like she didn't get a lot of screen time on the season. Um, But she tried her best given the cards that she was dealt. She was put in a pretty difficult spot here. Yeah. I mean, I, I, frankly, I understand the math. I can see where that goes. I think there's an argument to be made that this was a poor decision. Really? Because I think that Todd and Amanda going the other way would have brought Courtney in closer would have brought Sharia in closer and would have solidified, hey, listen, the old lines of, the old tribal lines are gone. Work with us. And what we have three clear targets in the other camp. We have Eric, Jamie, and PG. Let's get rid of Jean Robert. And the new Faye Long, including James when he comes back, will go a long way. And then Todd and Amanda and... Frosty can cut Courtney and Sharia loose down the line and James. I, I think there's an argument that they could have moved past the tribal line thing at this stage, and it didn't have to be going along the old tribal lines for numbers at the merge. I guess that whole theory is dependent on your thoughts on Frosty, on whether or not Frosty and Sharia are loyal members of Day yeah. Long. I'm not fully convinced that they are. I think Frosty is. Oh, okay. Yeah, but probably not. You're right. Probably not Sharia. Do you think this decision is going to haunt them, though? Will the Jean-Hu members take power at the merge now? Are they going to pull Courtney in, make like make it a 5-5 split, and then potentially pull somebody else in? How is this decision going to backfire? Oh, I mean, we see it in the next time on. Courtney and Todd are going at it. Courtney is furious. Um, I think this really damaged the chances of a completely coherent Fei Long. Well, I guess the question is, who, who's breaking off then? Is it just Courtney breaking off? Because if she breaks off, she won't have the numbers. I I think it's, you know, potentially Courtney breaking off. I think if Courtney breaks off, Frosty could. I think Frosty is in enough with Fei Long to play both sides. That's where I see Frosty at this stage. That's a good point. Like, Frosty might be one of the best positioned players at the merge with connections on both sides, and both sides seem to genuinely like him. It'll be an interesting test for Todd and Amanda at the merge because, if you remember, episode one, literally the first scene at Feilong, we get Todd and Jean-Robert walking off to the side where Jean-Robert says, I think you're a sneaky player. So there's a chance that he could break away. There's a chance Courtney could break away. And I think Todd would be the one responsible for keeping Jean Robert in the loop. And given uh, what we know based on kind of things that have happened between Courtney and Jean Robert, Amanda's also played a role in that. Like she's experienced some of the uncomfortable situations that Courtney has with like the snuggling and the shelter. So I feel like Amanda yeah. connects well with Courtney. So I think that partnership is each responsible for keeping one person a part of that alliance. And we'll find out next week if they're able to actually do that. Want to head to winners and losers? Oh, yes. Let's get the James bit out of the way. So he's a hypocrite. My winner pick pick is James. (laughs) Because James has an idol that he didn't have to use. He knows where both idols are going into the merge uh, because we know the merge is happening next week. Uh, he's a gentleman who does everything he can to help his lady love Denise. He has two idols, probably. He knows about two idols. He certainly has one idol. And he's about to find himself in a merge where his entire old tribe sees him as a steady ally and resource. So, I go James. I, I actually considered James for the winner of this week because of the whole idol situation. But I feel the same way about James as you did about Carolyn, where I feel like James is just stumbling into these fortunate situations where other contestants are really setting him up for them and he's not doing much on his own other than just taking orders from other players. I I think there is a significant level of luck to it. But at the same time, I think that there's enough autonomy in his he decided to work with Todd right he didn't have to pick Todd for the clue um he could have said I'm a little suspicious of Todd you know like I think he could be trying to mess with me he could have read that differently and he read it correctly um so I do think there are elements of chance but there's enough elements of individual Choice that I I'm willing to give him the benefit of the W. Are you rooting for James to win? No, I know he won't win. I like him though. Oh wait, why like, do you question like his win equity? You don't think he has any shot? I frankly, I don't think a muscle boy will ever win. Um, a meat boy. I don't think we'll ever see a meat boy win this game. Oh, I can tell you right now, there's a history of meat boys winning. Um, one of the series what? I made, one of the series I made on TikTok was what are the six winner archetypes? Um, there's a bunch of them. There's like the best friend, there's the head strategist, and one of them is the challenge beast. So there's players that have just bulldozed their way to the end through challenge wins. So it's on the board for James. There's been the history of players doing it before. I would be thrilled. I'm not getting my hopes up. I, so, so I'll put it this way. Uh, you know, to use a baseball metaphor, because we both love baseball, of course... It's like, are the Nats going to come back from 25 games behind in their division to uh, make it to the playoffs this year? No. Could it technically happen? Yes. Uh, would I be thrilled? Yes. 25 games behind? You think James is that far off? No, but I just wanted to... I use the Nationals because they're my favorite team. Like, I'm just saying, Like, I think James has a realistic path to the final three now, assuming he gets that second idol. Because... Yeah, If we go from Final 10 to Final 3, that's seven challenges. We know he's going to survive two of them with the idols, right? Can James win five immunities? Is that on the board for him? Maybe. It's depending on what they are. I think that's definitely on the board for James, just given yeah. his physical stature, right? So, okay, fair pick. Who's uh, your I, winner? Who's your winner? My winner is Amanda. Amanda's the player that came up with the idea to vote out Sharia and... While Todd gets a lot of screen time presenting him as this head strategist, Amanda has a lot of agency in that alliance. She's the person that convinces him to not vote against Jean Robert. And I think that puts the Faye Long alliance in a solid position at the merge where even if Courtney flips, um, they're still going to have the numbers advantage. And if Courtney does flip, I don't know who she's taking with her. I don't think she'll convince James to work with the sean who people who james actively hates at this point because she can't get james i doubt denise will go she's obviously not going to bring sean Robert, and todd and amanda like the only people that i think could flip with her are todd and amanda really um yeah other than that i feel like everybody's pretty strict on staying with Faye long so i thought it was a good move by amanda and i'm happy that she got some more screen time i feel like she's been a little bit more invisible up until this point on the season And I would also throw out to her credit that because of her position as kind of the number two, there's not any heat on her, and I think there's going to be more and more heat on Todd, Yep, which I think is is well done. And being the number two is not a bad thing. Um, No, definitely not. There's plenty of number twos that have won in Survivor history. The real question for Amanda moving forward is, can she either gain enough agency to supersede Todd? And potentially go to the end with him and beat him straight up, or will she need to use him almost as a shield and cut him at the last second? Like those are the only two routes for an Amanda win, right? I mean, I, I think the important thing to note here is that when you're trying to manage your number twos, reach for Charmin. <laughs> oh my <God. laughs> if you if you're a number two, <laughs> oh man that's great. Uh... yeah okay uh who's your who's your loser so this segues well my losers Todd. i don't think this move is going to go well for him really Uh, okay i think i think there there was enough in the next time on and there's enough conflict that i think this is the move that going into the merge everybody will learn that todd is scheming and that won't go well or It will, at the very least, make life harder for him, right? And so, do I think he's going to go out right away? I don't think so. But I do think that his read in this episode was correct, that going for Sharia puts a bigger target on him as a strategist, as a leader. I think that will go poorly, and I also, frankly... Part of the reason he's the loser is it took him four clues and two people's help to find the idol, and then he gave it away. So there's a whole bunch of things he did kind of wrong, kind of right in this episode, but loser. That's fair. Who's your loser? Uh, A quick statistic for you. Through six episodes, you've given Todd three out of six wins, and this is the first loser that he's gotten on the whole season. Wow. So up until this point, you've been a pretty big Todd guy. My loser is Courtney. She's unable to flip the vote onto Jean Robert. And I think by being left out of this vote, she's now positioned on the bottom of Faye Long. Uh, Todd and Amanda now have evidence that Courtney is willing to flip and not vote with them. Yeah. Even if she flips at the merge, she'll need to pull somebody else. And like I mentioned earlier, I don't think she'll have the numbers to actually do it. So I am worried about Courtney's positioning moving forward. If Jean-Hu gets decimated at the merge and then you get just those Faye Long members, my guess is they cut Courtney first. I think she's the lowest on the totem pole now. Yeah, I I think that's a fair fair prediction. Do you have an honorable mention? I do. Shout out to Luke Perry. Uh, Frankly, (laughs) I hadn't thought about Luke Perry in a while and, uh, you know, in college— Riverdale was a whole lot of fun to watch uh so it took me back to that time I think Riverdale is still finishing up Riverdale is how we became friends dude do you remember this yeah I mean yeah watching it in your room dude yeah I think I don't know who brought it up first but one of my earliest memories of meeting Jack were me him and our friend Carrie would meet up every week and watch an episode of Riverdale this was back in season one when the show was you know coherent and now it's oh, yeah. an absolute shit show. So, I mean, shout out to Luke Perry, because uh, if he hadn't fictionally fathered his fictional son, Archie, we might never be here. Oh, so. man. <laughs> if 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 you put it that way, we owe a lot to Luke Perry. Yeah. But it was also, his death was an absolute tragedy. That was a horrible, horrible early loss. And then the show handled it in an insane way. Wait, what did they do on the show? I think in the show... uh he had just gotten shot, and then instead of him dying from the gunshot, he recovered from the gunshot because they'd filmed him recovering, and then he died in a car crash or something. Oh, my God. Like, on, like, the drive back from the hospital. I mean, it was, like, a really quick turnaround from the thing that would have been an easy tragedy, tragic way to write him out, and then they wrote him out in, like, a less... uh dignified way well big shout out to luke perry um i'm sorry i didn't know his name <laughs> <laughs> uh, i have a briefer dishonorable mention this week i've been going with some more fun picks this season my dishonorable mention goes to shower curtains charman got a free <laughs> shout out this week and so did crest or colgate toothpaste whatever and they could have had a crest. shower it's crest okay they could have had a shower curtain promo as well, like some sort of sponsorship there, yet they just chose to have no shower curtain at all. And on one side, we get James's butt, and on the other, they don't get the extra money that they would have received from the sponsorship. So there's give and take there. I would like to throw out, that that tea house absolutely doesn't uh, pass any health code on the planet. Uh, You can't be showering that close to your tea. You're creating a whole different kind of tea that way, and it's James tea, and it's not not drinkable. Are you worried that there's going to be a medevac on this season? If anybody on this season would be medevaced, it would be Courtney for malnutrition. Oh, and my I guess would be that Denise. Will. I think I think Denise could no, get medevac. No, Denise is a tank. She'll be fine. She's a beast. Maybe Denise. Maybe uh, who who else gives off a medevaced vibe? I think Eric gives off a metafact vibe like he's very quiet but he seems like a kind guy yeah. I think he's someone that they like kind of build a character for and then he I don't know like shits himself in the garden of Eden and gets sent home like <laughs> yeah okay well that's everything I want to cover anything else that you want to hit on or are you all set I I don't think so. Shout out to Procter & Gamble for sponsoring this episode. Go buy Charmin. Go buy Crest Toothpaste. Uh, You know, support big business. They're the ones who are really struggling in this time. (laughs) Uh, uh, Shout out to SAG-AFTRA and the Writers Guild of America for both being on strike. Survivor may well be the only television show that is on the air this fall uh, because every other production in America is basically shut down besides reality TV. So, uh, well, that's why they're going up to 90 minute episodes, you know? So union strong, pay your workers, but, uh, I, it's a good thing. We're not a fan cast for some, you know, scripted show. Yeah. So (laughs) this was a tactical move on our part, knowing that the strike was coming up. We anticipated the uh, labor movement, but, uh, yeah, good to be back and, uh, looking forward to the merge. Yeah. Well, catch us next week. We'll cover Episode 7 of Survivor China.